Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Mentor Podcast. We're back. Took a little bit of a hiatus uh, due to some unforeseen circumstances, something that we can't necessarily talk about. Not necessarily a big deal, but just something that prevented us from being um, public, I guess, you know, having a social media presence. Now that that's kind of past us, we are back in the saddle first episode since August 10th. We've had some people ask us if we gave up, if we quit. We're not quitters. We just took a little break. So we're back, episode five. Today we're talking to a very special man, a jack of all trades, Jason Mitchler. Jason is a man of many talents, has done a lot of things, grew up in northern Colorado, was an avid wrestler, joined the army as an infantryman, After a little bit of time in the infantry, he decided to become a Special Forces Medic, or 18 Delta, deployed multiple times, and then said, you know what, it's not enough. I'm going to become a physical therapist. So went to school to become a physical therapist, finished out his career as an officer in the military as a physical therapist, had some special assignments with 10th Special Forces Group, the Pentagon, some other cool stuff. And then ultimately now in the civilian world, he works as the director, I believe the director of operations at the William J. Hibble Sport Medicine and Performance Center, which is a collaboration between Centura Health and UCCS. So great guy, ton of information. Hope you enjoy the episode. This is episode five of the Mentor Podcast. All right, and welcome to the Mentor Podcast. Uh, this is our first episode back. I looked I looked actually on Spotify. This yeah. is the first episode back since August 10th. Dang, that's my fault, everybody. But uh, You don't have to explain yeah, it. I won't but explain it. But... Due to unforeseen circumstances, yeah. we had to take a break. I've actually had multiple people ask me, like, when are you guys going to start? Yeah, when are you guys going to yeah. start doing episodes again? Here we are. We're Doing back. an episode again. Yep. One of our um, favorite people, Jason Mitchler. Yes. So, But before we do that, I was just talking about this. I want to start talking about what we're drinking because my intention is to get something yeah. new every single time. And for those of you who don't know, every time we do one of these, we are drinking something. <laughs> so <laughs> Our guest isn't yeah. always drinking, but John and I are always we're drinking. We're always inebriated. So uh, John and I are drinking what's called uh, it's Boxing Brothers, which is a local it's company. It's really tasty. And they have this uh, hard cider called Fireside. Yeah. And this thing's really good. It's, if you're uh, it's, into... Uh, girly drinks it's a holiday a spice cider and it's very yummy yeah i'm a fan I'm jason a fan. what are you drinking you have to tell me what i'm drinking i forgot john it's blind pig it's yeah it's blind pig by nice. russian river so i was telling jason before every single year this company russian river brewing does a release of a beer called pliny the elder hmm. and we drank we drank it before actually with yako but it's oh like that was good special release yeah. dude you can only get uh, there's only certain stores in Colorado Springs that sell it and you can only get one per customer. So like every time I go in, I'll like just pick just, one up. Yeah, buy one okay. and build a stock. But you've got like the second best thing. Yeah, there. it's good. No, I like Jason it. was yeah. too manly to, yeah. to have the side. I'm a, I'm a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got that out of the way, uh, Jason, we do obviously have questions for you like we do with every single person. But before we do that, how about you just tell us about, you know, when you were born, where you grew up, your backstory career that sort of thing okay yeah and like i said i appreciate you guys having me on i've listened to all the episodes and i think i think it's excellent getting to know everybody and kind of learn about these guys we roll with all the time um, well you and i were talking before the podcast that's the best part is, it is yeah you, you know all these people for years and years at jujitsu but i don't really know a lot about the outside life of some of these guys and it's been so cool to just yeah. learn about that. you know it's just like we we're talking about noble like who knows like yeah the guy talks all the time but he doesn't talk about himself right you know? he's just a just Humble a personable and, guy yeah. and then mm-hmm. you find out oh wow he's got this great thing so. yeah yeah so i was born in appleton wisconsin which is by green bay 
I actually grew up in Thornton, Colorado. Um, we moved there when I was eight years old, um, and then, which is kind of a working class neighborhood outside North Denver. Um, great, great childhood. Uh, played a lot of sports. Um, and then after graduate high school, I went to the University of Northern Colorado. And after my freshman year, I enlisted in the Army Reserves, and I was in the infantry. And so in between my freshman and sophomore year, I, went, I was in the infantry. Okay. Um, and then I actually went to California for a year um, on an exchange mm-hmm. program. And then I, I came back to Northern Colorado, did a semester, and then I got called up for um, Desert Storm. John was minus two, I think. <laughs> well, that, yeah, I, was, I would have been minus one. I would have been minus one because yeah, yeah, you're 91, what twenty eight, twenty eight now, and I'm twenty nine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah minus yeah, one. Yeah, I was so. even, I like sixty five or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't really remember. He's advanced in age. Yeah, yeah. So I actually, I went to Germany and uh, I hung in there and I did all right for uh, for the war. Cool Germany. man. Yeah, no, so it was it was a good experience. And then I went back to school, finished my degree, and then. Um, I worked as a PT, a physical therapy tech for now a little you were, bit. You were special operations in the military, correct? No, no. So, um, not there yet, John. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he knows his story better than you. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I graduated college, had a bachelor's degree in kinesiology, kind of human movement. And then I went to, uh, I worked for the airlines, Delta airlines, throwing bags. I worked as a personal trainer. I, you know, I worked a bunch of different odd jobs and then, um, one day a guy came in and he told me about special forces yeah. um, and he told me about the 18 Delta program. And so I was looking, I wanted to either go to physical therapy school or PA school. And he said, Hey, well, you should go be an 18 Delta. And then you can, you can um, then transition to PA school in the army. And I was like, Oh, that sounds good. So I went to the national guard recruiter. And at this time I was kind of an IRR. So I wasn't drilling anymore. And so they, uh, I went to the guard unit. Um, I can't remember where it was, but so I went one drill. And so everyone was there. They were looking to go to selection for special forces. When I got to the unit, I realized no one was going to selection. They just wanted to be in the unit and, and be a cool guy. And so I went to one drill. And then the next week I went and I signed up for active duty and I went to Hawaii. Um, and I was with the 25th. So Yako and me were, oh, I, okay. we, I don't know. He didn't say what unit he was in, but no. Huh? So I was with the Gimlets, which was uh, one of the infantry units there. Nice. And so while I was there, I went to Special Forces Selection, um, and then I got picked up as an 18 Delta. So there's four different, I don't know if you guys know, there's four different kind of specialties. Mm-hmm. So there's weapons, um, communications, engineering, and then medic for the enlisted side. And it's usually based on um, your GT score, which is just kind of like your basic entrance exam. And so... Mine was high enough that I got 18 Delta, which is what I wanted. Which is Special Forces Medic? It's Special Forces Medic, yeah. Okay. So then you, you you go to jump school, you go to all this other stuff. And it, for me, it was about two years of schooling before I before I graduated. And I was lucky enough to kind of go all the way through and not get recycled. And then after that, I went to uh, third Special Forces, which was in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I went to, we went to Red Flag, which is out of Nevada, which was in August of... 2001 and so then afterwards i they said hey there's this uh, force protection school or anti-terrorism school for the air force you want to stay on i said we all stay on for the week or whatever and so funny enough i was learning about bin laden and all this stuff and i'd yeah. never heard of him and the monday i came back is when 9 11 happened oh, oh, I was on that, yeah i was on that nine mil range and you know they were talking about it and then a week later i was flying into africa so it was it was it was kind of like a trial by fire for me like you know i got to special forces and i liked it and you know because i've been training to do it for so long and then yeah so then 9 11 happened i was in africa for maybe three months we came back i went to virginia for a couple months and then right after that i went to my first tour in afghanistan um i did a couple tours in afghanistan and then um at that time i i was still thinking i wanted to do something medical but I was kind of leaning, I was leaning more towards medical school. Mm. And so I uh, actually got out of the military because I was so old that my, <laughs> my prereqs my pre- had canceled out, you know? And so I needed, I was so, my last two years in um, in special forces, uh, you know, nine, I was gone 19 months out of 24. Mm. And so wow. it was a little tough, you know? And so I was gone all the time. And then, uh, so I got out, I worked at Porter Hospital in Denver. 
I had my oh, par- okay. I had my paramedic certification. Okay, um, cool. Through, through the 18 Delta program, and so yeah, I drop patients off there all the time. Yeah, so, Porter. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a good hospital, you know. And so then I uh, I started looking into maybe I went thought, thinking maybe I want to be an orthopedic surgeon or something like that, and then turns out I'm not that smart, and so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so anyways, I I didn't do so well in organic chemistry. I went. I started looking at some other programs. I thought, well, this is going to be a challenge to get into medical school. I realized the Army had a physical therapy program, went back in, got into the physical therapy program. And then um, after I graduated from that program, I was at Fort Benning for a while. I went to came out here to 10 Special Forces, mm. which I was the, the lead kind of for this Thor 3 program, which is like a human optimization program. So I was the lead as they were developing that. Then I went to the Pentagon for a couple of years. Came back to uh, Fort Carson, um, and then I went. I did a deployment with the Special Operations Task Force to Afghanistan, and then basically after that, I retired. And so now I work as uh, director of operations for the Hibble Center, which is Colorado Springs Sports Medicine Performance Center, and that's so, at UCCS. It, so I work for Centur Health. It, uh-huh. So it's a it's a UCCS building. So okay. we're a collaboration between UCCS and Centur. Okay. Health. Nice. Yeah, so. So you, you started enlisted, right? If I'm, if I'm hearing your story correct, you started enlisted and then you became an officer, right? Correct. Uh, what rank did you retire as? So I retired as a major. Okay. Gotcha. And did you, in that process, like, first of all, did you think, did you always think that you were going to be a special forces medic? And then did you think at some point that you'd become a physical therapist or was this kind of all just natural progression of your life? Yeah, I would probably say it was more just like a natural progression of my life. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something medical. Like that was always my interest. You know, I, I've always been interested in, you know, performance and strength and conditioning and, and movement of the body. And so I wanted to do something along those lines. I always thought I would do that. And, you know, when I was a, even when I was a medic, I liked the medic side of it. You know, I liked, you know, like being, you know, an SF dude too, but my passion was kind of on the medical side of mm-hmm. things, but I realized I didn't really like sick people. You know, I didn't like di- <laughs> diarrhea and like that. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with this all the time. Yeah, and, it's not you know, great. It's yeah. not great. What about trauma? Yeah. So I, I liked trauma. What, you know, I guess we don't, I, I did like it, you know, cause it's, it's exciting and like, you gotta, you gotta do stuff like at, on the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And you gotta make things happen. And, and when you're, on my second tour, I was with a PA and we were running a, we were seeing like five to six multi-systems traumas a week. Wow. And so, you know, a PA right out of school, meathead me, you know, like, and, and we're dealing and sometimes he's not there. And then, and then, you know, I'm the, the highest medical provider there. And you, and know, you were and we're a paramedic doing, at the time, at the time when you were, I was a paramedic. Okay. Yeah. And so, well, you know, but crazy. you know, so we're doing, you know, we're doing chest tubes and we're doing yeah. cryics and we're doing all this stuff and we're pumping drugs and, you know, and so as for me, it was really intense, but I, I learned a ton. And in this PA, I was with, he was just a great guy. And, you know, he was, he would educate everybody. And, but I, I liked the trauma, but then like with the kids, you know, like the pediatric wow. stuff was, it was yeah. really tough. You That's know, we, me and him saw like a really couple of like bad burn stuff. And then saw some like, um, kids that would come in like, and what I, what I found too, is that sometimes like minimal injuries are the worst right and like these other people we had this young boy came in he had had his lower jaw shot off like you've probably seen the pictures like that yeah where his tongue's hanging out like this oh man and uh the pa was able to intubate him and it was like it was pretty impressive you know but that kid lived he came back and saw us afterwards and then we had a kid that had been you know supposedly stabbed in his rib he came and we just treated him like it was anything and he ended up dying in there so Mm. for me like it, that was the hardest part you know and i think if anything gave me like some ptsd it was probably like that pediatric stuff yeah. and just it was just rough and um but i was like i still liked it you know like i mm. liked the trauma you know if we were out and, pe- and people got shot up i like like being the guy to rush in and like take care of it but yeah for but some of that stuff was just too much for me and yeah. and i preferred muscles and, and kind of like keeping people healthy <laughs> yeah yeah well, i think especially in that environment like you and I have talked about that, and I work on an ambulance in the Denver yeah. area. But you you were seeing probably the amount of patients, amount of uh, severe trauma patients, in a few months in that environment and a deployment yeah. that I'm going to see in my whole career. Yeah. 
you know, so that's a totally different scenario. That's a good point. I mean, obviously, you know, like we see trauma, but it's not, we're not in a war zone. Yeah. And it's much more spread out over a career versus like a short term deployment. I was going to say like, you know, you even just mentioning like doing crikes, you know, I've been in the fire service for for nine. Yeah. I was going to say, I've been in the fire service for nine years. I've never seen someone get oh, cracked. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have our traumas, but most of it is like car accidents. Yep. You know, yeah, maybe you it's get a shooting like or stabbing. Traumas, yeah, you, you might know? get a shooting or yeah. stabbing, but it's like a dispute. You know what I mean? So totally different environment. So yeah, I could understand why you'd want to transition to something else. Yeah. So you know, some people, you know, that was that was their environment. They liked it. I felt, I felt like most of the medics, they either moved on or they moved <clears throat> to something else. You mm. can't stay in that. For too long mm-hmm. you know i think it, it just burns guys out probably like a paramedic working in like denver denver health or denver general downtown you know yeah those guys get beat up yeah yeah, yeah. they're running there's, like 12 yeah, calls sh- and 12 hour shifts yeah. yeah yeah i think i think you're right there is a shelf life and so but it was good you know and the, but it was my time to kind of go and um I, I just had a son and so you know i was like i hadn't seen him in almost a year and i thought well you know let's I gotta, I gotta figure something else out here. Yeah, I like what I'm tough. doing, but balance your life out. Yeah, a little balance bit. my life mm-hmm. out a little yeah. bit, and so that's why I thought. Well, maybe I'll try something medical. Yeah. So that's how I kind of transitioned. So what's the Hibble Center? So the Hibble Center is a collaboration between UCCS and Satura Health, and so huge building, hundred, hundred thousand square feet. Um, the first two floors, um, sports performance, physical therapy, sports medicine, orthopedics, MRI. And then we run a big performance center out of there, which is retail. And then the second floor, third floor, fourth floor is all classroom space for mm-hmm. human physiology and nutrition. Okay. Um, I teach a class at the university also, a tactical strength and conditioning. And so I was going to say, you do a lot of stuff for our, our career fields, right? I mean, as yep. far as uh, firefighters, police officers, military, that sort yep, of thing. Yeah. Right. And so we're trying to, you know, create some of these uh, sustainable programs where, you know, I feel like there's information overload right now, especially like for the firefighters and everybody and the information's out there, but people don't know how to utilize it. And then that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Right well, now. even just like sifting through the bullshit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right, I've come yeah. to you so many times and been like, Hey Jason, is this legit? Or am I yeah, wasting yeah. my time? Yeah, right, right. Mm. You know? So, yeah. So like if you look up a, a workout for firefighters that, you know, a thousand things will come up and where do you go to? And then is that something you even need? Right? Like, are you, are you weak? Are you? And I see so many of those where guys are like doing burpees and and hitting a sledgehammer in their gear, and I'm like, is this really actually making you better at your job? Yeah. Or is there something else that we can do? And that's where guys like you come in, where it's like, okay, I can go. I have this guide that I can go to and and say, hey, what what should I do to get better at this specific yep. movement? Or yeah, yeah. And so I, what I'd like to do ideally is you know develop some type of sustainable program. Start with Colorado Springs Fire Department and develop this sustainable program where I always look at it is there's four parts. So there's the assessment part or the testing piece. There's the education piece. Like, why are you doing it? There's the training piece, like where we're providing training protocols or return to duty protocols. And then there's the research piece where we, where we're, we're validating our return on your investment, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. the city's investing in this. So, so the research is proving that, Hey, there's less lost duty days. And one of the, the battalion chiefs for the college Springs fire department, he told me something kind of like really struck me. He's like, if we stop one back pain or one back disability, you know, that's costing the city 100 to 200 grand a mm-hmm. year. Well, that would fund the whole program for mm-hmm. us, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's where our return on in the investment is. And so that's kind of, you know, that's where I I'm pushing now. And, and I really like the community. And we got to relocate you to, to Lakewood. Come talk to my chief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like and I'd, yeah. I'd love to, and you know, I feel like if we can establish some of this, like, I feel like if we can establish the model here, that would be a good feather in my cap. And I'd be proud of it, you know, and that we could not just have this where we're just pushing programs out or just testing and telling people they're weak, but hey, this is how we're going to do it. And this is how we sustain it. And this is the responsibilities of the fire department. This is res- the responsibilities of the Hibble Center. Maybe this is the responsibilities of the testing piece, but everyone has a little piece in it. And how do we get people to put skin in the game and and keep at it and so that we're not just yep everyone's excited and then the leadership changes and then we never see mm-hmm. it again right like yeah and so yeah uh, yeah that's a great point well so we're gonna we're gonna jump into our formal questions okay. so we 
we are probably going to circle back a little bit to the military uh, piece, but then the majority of what we're going to actually talk about is mostly health and wellness stuff. So, John, you can kick us off here. Um, just with what you and I have talked about with this podcast and, and you know, meeting different people in life. We were just discussing this and learning about them. And whether it's in a professional or a, a social perspective, um, what are some of the major differences that you see in people that you were operating with in special forces or even in the military in general? And then people you're, you're working alongside in the civilian world, what's better or what's worse about either side? Yeah, so I was, I was thinking about this and, you know, I was in the military for so long, you know, I, I got used to that environment. And then when I transitioned to the civilian world, I started to see kind of like where the differences were. And, and one of the things I think is, is me as a major, which is in the grand scheme of things, isn't really high rank, but if I walk kind of right in the middle, yeah, right? I would say yeah. It's, you know, it's right in the middle and you know, it's higher. But if I walk into a room of enlisted people and I tell them what to do, there's not going to be question, right? Like it's going to happen, yeah. right? And everyone has in the military, they have specific job functions and duties and which is probably more like along the lines of fire department. Like people don't question, right? Like if, if I come in and say, this is what needs to be done and I'm higher ranking, it's going to get done. No matter what, what you think of me as a person, mm -hmm. my rank is going to make that happen. And I, and I, and I like that, you know, it's almost like instant street cred, but in the civilian world, you know, as I am in the position now and I work with some younger uh, 20 year old pukes millennials <laughs> millennials <laughs> millennials we're right here jason okay <laughs> yeah no, just kidding yeah so but you know but like but they need they need purpose and they kind of need reasoning behind what they're doing yeah. and and that's taken me a little bit to adjust to like as opposed to just saying hey you're doing this right i don't want questions yeah i can't just put it they out they want to know the why yeah they want to yeah. know the why and you know on the I other guess, end of that i mean if i could interrupt for just a moment no, it's like you're describing that, and that's something that I had to transition into on the opposite end, going into the fire service. Because prior to that, I was working for Marcelo, who like cared about my opinion, you know, yeah. and like wanted wanted my point of view on things. And then you enter the fire service, like, okay, I have to adjust to, you know, even if I'm not the biggest fan of whoever, I got to listen to what they say, mm -hmm. or right. hopefully you respect your superiors at that point. And, yeah, right. You know, you know I, so. and I think like Noble was talking about that, like this emotional intelligence, like recognizing who where you are and being like reflective of of your environment. And so I've had to do that yeah. a little bit more and kind of say, well, like, okay, it, it, things don't just work this way anymore. Mm -hmm. And and one of the um, the performance lead that I work with. A great person but you know but she would she would question me and i'd be like what? you know like yeah. and so it took me a while <laughs> yeah. and we'd get into like some of these little arguments and and then i realized like she's not the problem i'm the problem oh. right i need to i need to change how i'm talking to her and i need to provide her with like a little bit yeah that's some emotional intelligence purpose. on yeah. your part that speaking is true. Noble, yeah, true. Being noble's to gonna be so proud when he listens to this <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but I realized, like, you know, like I need to change how I'm doing things, you know. And one of the things w was is like we celebrate success, right? You know, so like I, I, I was sending out a, a weekly email and just talking about, hey, this is what you're doing great, um, you know, and recognizing people. But in the military, like for me in the military, like you never had to tell me like I was doing. I knew I was doing my job because mm -hmm. that's what I did, you know. And so I didn't. And if you didn't do your job, that's when you'd, yeah, you'd, right, that's right, when yeah. you'd know about it. Like, yeah. You don't do your job. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna find out pretty yeah, quick, right? No one said anything. I was yeah. like, it's all good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like now I realize, like you know, people need to be told, like, hey, you're doing a great job, or you know, I appreciate what you're doing, and and they like that, you know, just because I don't need that doesn't mean like the rest of the world. Oh, that's why you're so nice to me, man. That's right. I'm like, I know yeah. you need it, John. <laughs> it's the millennial. In yeah, the, it's, yeah. You need words of affirmation. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that's probably the biggest thing is just, you know, there's really defined roles in the military like mm -hmm. if you're in a position you know if you're a clerk or hey there's a there's a rank structure and then there's a there's a what your duties are like it's very defined you know yeah. like you can look it up in a book and an sop and that's what your role is and that's what you stick to and you know and you always you're trying to strive to be better but you know for the most part people don't mess within the ranks. You know, you don't yeah. disrespect the rank above you. Even if you 
dislike him. You know, it may happen occasionally, but for the most part, people really respect the rank structure in the yeah. military. So, mm-hmm. but, I think that's yeah. mostly true for the fire service as well. I think so. I yeah. think I, I honestly think that generationally, one of the most difficult things for I guess probably old school guys is this the phone. Yeah. You know, I mean the fact that a young person, you say something and that young person can be like, well, no, that's not true. And I can tell you it's not true because I'm going to Google it. You know what I mean? Right. So that's got to be, that's tough. But I agree. Like we still have that hierarchy type organizational leadership Mm -hmm. where the battalion chief tells me something, you know, it's like, that's yeah. Like that's a, they're telling me what to do it. You know, they're telling me to do it. I'm going to do it. I may not like it, but it is what it is. I don't think organizations like Google, or Amazon, you know, that are recruiting a lot of young blood nowadays. I'm sure that their structure's not like that. But there there's a reason why those people are making decisions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, there's some instant credibility yeah. in those hierarchy type systems. So that's that's an interesting perspective. Um, so tying into this whole military experience, you've probably, you know, you you've probably seen a lot of people who are in the special operations community talking a lot about resiliency you know i think that your average civilian will look to people like jocko or tim kennedy or david goggins as a source of strength and resiliency you know those people obviously go through rigors and set themselves apart so um specifically related to your time in special forces what have you learned from that experience about how to build resiliency in your life yeah so when I was in Hawaii, I, we did like a 20 mile ruck march and, you know, maybe 50 pounds on our back. And as we were walking, we stopped one time in the, and one of the, the commanders gave like this speech about how we we're going to be tougher because they didn't build resiliency. And this lieutenant was sitting next to me. He said, what do you think about that? And I was like, well, I think it's kind of bullshit. I think either, <laughs> either you're tough or you're not. Right. But I've come to realize like it, it does matter. Like putting yourself into difficult situations like you know i've been um one of the final like the as part of the q course one of the final things we did we moved for 18 hours we jumped in and we moved for 18 hours and i think my rucksack weighed like 115 pounds and that's just a pack that's not including you know the ammo and the weapon that i have on me so you know i'm carrying 150 pounds for 18 hours we can barely stand up that's gnarly yeah so it's it's rough but like we would, when I first got up, I could barely walk, you know, across the compound with all that gear on, but then I was able to walk 18 hours. And I think as you do that, you realize that a, you're tougher than you think you are. And that if you put yourself in these difficult situations, then when you come back to something else where it's maybe sort of hard, like you don't, you don't judge things so quickly anymore. Like you don't fall into the poor me anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just like, I, I can do this. I've done it before. And so struggling, I think b- builds resiliency. Mm-hmm. And so being in this Q course for, you know, two years where like the attrition rates, like 75% and you see people leaving or people quitting because they don't want to struggle. Um, I think that all that builds resiliency. And then for me, so then when I went to PT school afterwards, like there was no test in PT school, like a hands-on test or anything, you know, that could even match what like the paramedic test that we were doing when I was doing the Q mm. course. And it's just because there's no one yelling at you. There's no one, you know, we would put an IV on the guys would throw mm. the bag to make sure it's <laughs> tied down. Right. Like, and so simulated stress, yeah, yeah, simulated yeah. stress. like, you know, yeah. there's not gunshots going off. And so for me, I liked it because, well, a, it's a controlled stress. Look, I know it's, you know, I know like I'm not actually getting shot at cause I hear, but, but for me, then I get in another environment where the the level is dropped down and I am more resilient. You know, I can, I can do these things and, but yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think like for me, the takeaway, and I've thought about this for a while too, you know, is we can simulate stress in our daily lives to build resiliency in other ways too. You know, like not everybody's going to be in special forces, yeah. you know, not everybody's going to be in that capacity yep. that you were in, but you know, I think about things in my daily life that I do that, in my opinion, build resiliency. Like jujitsu is one of them. Yeah, you know, sure. I think um, jujitsu is obviously very difficult. I think that's it's what, hard on the, the body. Main reason to do jujitsu. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's hard on the body, but it builds your body and it builds your mind. You know, and I remember like when I went 
I've I've tried out a different a couple different gyms in my journey, but when I first got to Prime, the skill level and the intensity in which people rolled, I was like, "Holy shit, dude! Like this is pretty. This is like a competition style gym." Yeah. But you do it long enough, and then that's just the norm. Yep. But then you right. can you see adjust. other people who come in, and they're like, you can see their eyes are wide. Like I'm not used to this type of competitive yeah. rolling, yeah. especially it's when like, they got you and like. They're in bottom side control and you're crushing their <laughs> sure, soul out. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, that's Please help me. that's that's yeah. the that's you know, part of that building resiliency too, I think, in daily life as well. You know, I mean, people do like cold exposure stuff, yep. you know, Wim Hof, all this stuff that that can build resiliency. I mean, in the fire service, you know, we'll put ourselves through endurance drills or air consumption drills where you're doing hard physical labor with a mask on with your gear and not only is it strenuous on the body but it's strenuous on the mind but the more that you do it it's like this ain't no thing yeah. you know what i mean i mean just to take it back to jujitsu too like so say you're getting smashed on the bottom right like you can't breathe like if you're initially coming to jujitsu like you start to panic right mm -hmm. like and you have to slow your breathing and control it well then you you transition to something you're doing with the fire department right like where you can't breathe Mm -hmm. And you've learned those skills, like, well, I know how to control my breath. Mm -hmm. I know how to not panic here. Yep. And and so, yeah, I think it totally makes a difference what you're doing. It, just doing something difficult, yep. whether it's physical or mental. But for the most part, I think people, they're more, they don't want to show up, right? Like, so mm -hmm. the hardest thing is walking in the door, right? Like it's going to the academy or, or, or signing up for the military, or going to selection or something like that. The, the thought of it was always worse than the actual school. Of all the schools I did, like worrying about going to the school, worrying about going to a competition was always worse than the actual mm -hmm. school or competition itself. And I think that's where people, they start to quit and it makes it easy to quit. You know, but if they, they I used to say, just show up. I know a lot of people don't like, like that. Well, you got to show up and do the work. Well, yeah, of course you do. But like, but you still have to show up, right? Like once you get there and you, and you kind of set your mind, then then it makes it easier and then you can and then you can do more mm -hmm. you know? but if you start quitting then it just makes it e easier not to do everything and you always have an excuse yeah and so, that's a good yeah. point what you're bringing up right now is like the more you try and the more you show up in life the more resilient and the more you're going to become more confidence you're going to build right but yeah. you can you can definitely go in the opposite direction as well like yeah, if you're right. just like oh man i, I don't want to go to work today i think i'm just gonna i think i'm just not gonna go that right. becomes easier and easier and easier so. I mean, I think that day, uh, every day with jujitsu, I'm like, John's going to be there. I don't feel like <laughs> going. I'm going to get, my face is going to get smothered. Oh, no, that's what I say. When I walk in the door, I see John. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you guys just got to get better. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> just increase our skill level. It's, it's just that easy. You All right. What, you know what, guys? You got to show up to jujitsu. Yeah. Okay. I will. I will. I'll get better just by doing that. Not make eye contact with yeah. you. <laughs> so we don't have a roll. Well, I didn't see you were looking at me. I like well, training you guys, a, though. Yeah, I mean, I see you too, and I'm like, man, I got some good, some good training partners <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah, it's always fun. Uh, well, that was uh, that was actually a great answer. Um, I think that pretty much though, that's that's really all we had for the military piece. Mm -hmm. Not that we, you know, obviously, I'm sure people are very interested in the military piece, but in my opinion, you know, the health and wellness side of the house, I think that that's something that's really like. Yeah. There's some people that you know, they don't necessarily care about the military or any of those sort of sort of stories or whatever, yeah. but. I think everybody could benefit from more health and wellness discussions. Well, so. I mean, what's funny is I didn't even really know you were in the special forces. Well, we like, talked about that yeah, right, you know, yeah. before, like not knowing people about learn, learning through this podcast, but, um, which says a lot about you. Yeah. Is that you humble, just don't, yeah. Just like, you're not out there flaunting anything. Oh, and so you, that's, yeah. that's cool. Oh. Yeah. Um, but you've been a mentor of mine for I don't know how long have I known you now maybe five or six years yeah, six years yeah, um six. and I've always as soon as I found out you're a physical therapist I completely took advantage <laughs> of you that's right I mean you've done like dry needling stuff on me and uh and always answered my questions and and I know that I have a resource selfishly in you to come to and be like okay is this is this bs or am I am I actually making myself yeah. stronger with this um but my is it cool if I started the question yeah of course okay. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, I think I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a physical therapist, um, and then someone who's remained active even in your advanced age, um, <laughs> um, what are what are some keys you believe to keeping an active lifestyle, uh, and and getting stronger, remaining strong, injury free, injury free? And I'll start with something you told me a while ago 
you know, cause I've had some knee injuries that you've helped me out with. And you said, John, the most important thing is that you stay active is that you don't just start sitting around right. and you, you got to keep moving to stay moving basically. Right. But beyond that, what do, what do you believe are some tools and some, some ideas that you can share? Yeah, so no, can- for sure. And I would just say too, like as a physical therapist, when I, if someone asks me for advice and like, I can tell they've done their homework and they kind of know what's going on and, and they're receptive to that advice and we can talk back and forth and you can ask questions like, well, why would I do this or that? You know? So one of the hard things about being a physical therapist is when you talk to a patient, you could just see like this blank look on their face. Like, you know, they're not going to do the work or you're not going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, there's like, well, they want an easy fix. Like they're waiting for you to open this drawer. Like, okay, you know, like here's the magic drawer, like yep. with the, the pill or whatever in it. But when you, when you talk to people like, like you, John, and they're like, yeah, so I did this and it worked or I did this and it didn't work. I believe you because I know you did the work. And so yeah. for me, that's exciting as a physical therapist. And, um, I like it. Like when I can, it's almost like, a you know, like, I guess I'm like a detective, like, you know, I'm a, um, anatomy yeah. detective trying to figure yeah. out what's going on. And Solve so I problem. like it because I get real feedback from you. And, and, and so well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's good. You know, and I, and I, I'd love to talk to people like that, you know, and if I dry needle, you tell me, yeah, it was kind of good. Or, or do you remember or, that time you were dry needling my VMO? <laughs> yeah. You remember that? Yeah. And we yeah. got that crazy jump. Yeah, You're sure, what? Sure, sure. My VMO. His, his middle. Yeah, right here. Oh, quad, is that what that's yeah. called? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, he, he was kneeling it. And it like spaz like nothing's ever spazzed my whole life. And he's like, oh, I've never seen it do that. And I was so worried. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> did, we, just die? Did, we, did we just break my VMO? Oh no. I need that. <laughs> yeah. My precious VMO. Yeah. 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 But the, to answer your question, for me, so I'm 51, you know, so um, but Which I you look like, great for 51, oh, by the way. Thanks, yeah. 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 <laughs> if you guys have never seen Jason, picture like it's a brunette jacked. Hercules. <laughs> so, but you know, but I feel like for me, like people say, well, what do you do to stay in shape? And I say, well, I've never gotten out of shape, right? You know, so like I, I'm always doing something, but I feel like I've always had a goal. Like there's always been something I'm focused on, right? Like either, you know, even like most recently, like I want to be good at jujitsu. Like I don't want John to like come over me and roll me over every time. So yeah, I'm like, good luck. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> we just do it over and over again. But like, but I want to be, I want to be strong. I want to be able to roll with you guys hard or, you know, like for me, like I wanted to be special forces or I wanted to be a good wrestler or I wanted, you know, so I've always had a goal and, you know, in my thirties, I was kind of more of like an endurance athlete, but I wanted to be a good endurance athlete. And so I've always focused on something. I can't picture you as an endurance athlete at any point. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah. I ran a 62 minute 10 miler in the army 10 miler. So yeah, so that's probably one of my, one of my better ones. That's crazy. I'm, I know I'm built like a square, but like, I'll do the math on that later. But I'm yeah, sure it's impressive. It's yeah. like a six thirteen. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, so that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, like, but you know, so I was, but I was focused on that, and so that was, you know, I've always had like a goal to work on, and so for me, like just losing weight or just trying to get in shape is not a, it's not a goal, right? Like I want to be good at something. I want to be good at jujitsu. I want to be a good endurance athlete. I want to be a good wrestler, and so that's what's helped me stay in shape, as opposed to just saying. I want to be in shape or I want to be fit. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, probably it's just good genetics too, right? Yeah. You know, my, my dad was a pretty strong guy. My mom was, you know, strong and she's still a strong, strong lady. And so I, I had good genes, but you know, me, me, I have two brothers, an older and younger brother. We look completely different, but I've always stayed physically active. Yeah. And so, um, but I think is, is you know, if you want to reduce injuries, and you want to stay, you know, active for your whole life is, is you have to move, right? You have to stay mm-hmm. strong and you have to work around injuries. Injuries are going to happen, right? Like your knee surgeries are going to happen, you know, yep. like my shoulders are, are, are pretty shredded in the, but you know, and my neck is shredded. Look, but, we know you're shredded. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you are Jack. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, oil. So, yeah, so, <laughs> but you know, like it's, uh, for me, like it's just movement, right? Like even when I get injured, like I think about, so let's say I injure my back lifting or doing something. Well, I'll take a day or so. You know, I usually call it like the first night is I know it's going to be a rough night of sleep when I injure my back, but then I get up in the morning and I start moving and then I, what can I do? Right. Can I run? Can I lift weights? And I, and I just take it easy and I just start doing these basic movement patterns. And for me, what I found is 
is my body will desensitize those injuries. Mm. And so a lot of times what happens is say someone has a back injury and they, you know, like their dad had a back injury or their uncle had a back injury and he had to quit work. So they're like, Oh, it's genetic. My back has gone out. And so then they're like, they go to their doctor and, and medical providers aren't always the greatest. They'll say like, don't deadlift. You shouldn't squat, right? Like you shouldn't do these functional movements that we do all the time. And so the, I listen to the doctors and I'm like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be bending over. I shouldn't be squatting, you know, like, okay, you should never sit down on the couch again. You should never go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I should never pick up anything again. And so what they're saying and what the reality is doesn't make sense. Yeah. But what happens is I get this fear avoidance. And so I bend over, I feel a little twinge in my back and I'm like, oh, there's my back pain again. Mm -hmm. And so your brain feeds into that. And, and as it happens, the more you start to kind of, feed into this pain pattern, the more it happens. And so, you know, not to get too much into pain science, but all the, all the pain you feel comes from your brain, right? Like it's why amputees have phantom limb pain. Mm. You know, it's why, um, someone that has like a kind of like an ankle sprain can still have pain a year later. Why someone with a back pain, they'll go in and they'll say, Hey, your, your MRI and everything is, is, um, is normal, but, but like, yeah, but I can't move. Why, why is my back still bothering because your tissues become sensitive and your brain is under this alarm mode thinking, okay, when I, when my back feels this stretch, that's a dangerous movement for, for, for me to do. And mm. so I have a pain response to that. And so for me, like I've never really, I've never listened to it as much. And so I, I, I work out of that and I work through the pain. Um, I think the thing there too, is like when we tell people like, oh, you know, it's in your head. Mm -hmm. It is, but it isn't, right? Like it's a very real. If someone has no structural damage to their back, but when they bend over, it gives them nerve pain or lights them up. Well, that that's real pain that's happening to them. That's numbness and tingling. And that and is light and it's it's debilitating. But just because there's no structural damage doesn't mean they're having this pain mm -hmm. response. And so, mm -hmm. I think I got way off the no, the I think no, that no, that was great. Yeah, I mean, but, um, I'm picking what I'm picking up is what you're is that you're saying okay the in injuries are going to happen as far as physical resilience yep. goes and it's important to find what you can do and continue to do it and then eventually work your way back into those movements that gave you fear in the first place absolutely and yeah, keep call, moving yeah so yeah. we call it graded exposure so you know if i every time i bend over i feel like a little pull well then i want to touch the pain but i don't want to flare the pain up so when i flare it up that's when i i create this more um sensitized tissue so but i want to maybe touch into the pain ouch quit it ouch quit it but i don't want to go so far that it's keeping me from sleeping at night or keeping me from doing what i do and then i just do it more frequently you know so like if squatting bothers my knees well then i just squat a couple reps here and there during the day until i'm able to neurally groove that pattern and mm -hmm. get into a good squat or get into a good hip hinge mm -hmm. and then once i can do that with no body weight i i load that and then i go from there and so that's interesting that it actually there's two things that I, I think about that I've read before. So like the first thing I've I've read is um, ultra marathon runners and triathletes have a higher pain tolerance than your average person, which, you know, that's that's kind of you would think that it's just a it's natural that their minds are stronger. So they're able to do those things. But you talk about desensitizing yourself to pain. They've done studies to say that people who do ultra marathon running or, or endurance events like that just legitimately have a higher pain tolerance as a result of doing that repeated motion over and over again. Their body doesn't register pain the same way that a normal person would, I guess. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. You yeah. know, it's just like you've, your body doesn't, your brain, I guess your brain doesn't look at that as a dangerous movement mm -hmm. anymore because you've been there so often, right? You've, you've kind of you've lowered your threshold to a pain response yeah. there. And so, yeah, it's yeah. a little tougher. And so, kind of back onto like the whole resiliency thing. I think you can train your way into it to have a lower threshold for a pain response or, um, you know, so when you're doing an activity like, okay, I'm not going to respond like I normally mm -hmm. would. So. And another thing that you mentioned that makes me think of a quote that I heard once before, there's this guy that I listened to, his name's Pat McNamara. He's a, he was a green beret, but he does a lot oh, yeah, of fitness no, yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's shooting too. But he always says motion is lotion. Ah, motion is lotion. So it's, not that it, kind you know, of the more, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the more you're moving, the better it is. So kind of going back to what you're saying, I think a lot of people think that like you get injured, 
And the best thing that you could possibly do is just sit on your couch for two weeks and yeah. rest your body. When in reality, it's like, like you said, like, well, how can I keep moving? You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. No, I like that sure. a lot. Yeah. That's, good. That's good. All right. What are some diet and exercise myths that drive you crazy? So diet too much. I, I can't really talk about, you know, it's, um, I don't, I don't really you go one way. Yeah. I don't really follow. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I eat a decent diet, but I, I, and there's not really, I don't know too much along those lines that, you know, it'd be better to talk to a dietitian. but mm -hmm. as far as like exercise plans, um, for me, it's, or even physical therapy myths, you know, I mean, yeah. just, Stuff that, you know, people think is like, yeah, this is gospel or this is common knowledge yeah. when in reality it's not, you know? So I guess just to talk bad about my profession a little bit is the physical therapist is, you know, if you guys have been to physical therapy, we, we start really small. Like we do movement patterns, we do quad sets, we do stuff like that. But I rarely see a physical therapist move beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. And so we don't move back to functional movement, right? So we don't take you from getting your range of motion back and getting the muscles firing again well then now are we teaching you a functional squat a bodyweight squat we, we probably are but then are we loading it right or are we loading a hip hinge are we loading a deadlift or something like that and so that drives me a little bit crazy um i think for like exercise the big thing that bothers me is just people just get caught up in fads and think that's the mm -hmm. only way that's the only way you can work out mm -hmm. or that's the only way you can exercise and and a lot of times people need variety all the time. Yeah. And so that, that bugs me, you know, it's like, I'll do the same workout forever. You know, like I just, you know, I just go ahead and do it. But, um, yeah, I, I would think like these, like these fad things, you know, everyone's really big on burpees now mm -hmm. and I'm not a big fan of burpees, but you know, like if, we're, if we're doing them occasionally in a workout, it's fun. But like, if that's kind of like, that's like the staple of my workout, then, then I won't necessarily. Something's off. Yeah. Something's off. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you kind of to piggyback onto that? So I, um, there's a guy named Robert Oberst. He's a, he's one, he's a strong man competitor. Yeah. And he, he very controversially said that your average person shouldn't do a standard deadlift. What yeah. do you think about yeah, that? That's, Cause I, I, I don't do standard deadlifts. Like I do a, like a five, three, one program, like a Wendler five, three, one program, yeah. but I don't do traditional deadlifts. I use the trap bar. Cause I'm like, for somebody like me who doesn't understand the mechanics of the proper mechanics of doing a deadlift, I don't have a personal trainer with me to correct things. You know, it's much more intuitive to step into a trap bar and still do that hinging motion. You know, I yeah, guess, in I, my mean, mind, I, I guess I would probably agree. We did some testing with the fire department and you know, what I found was a lot of guys couldn't even get into the trap bar position. We had mm. to put the trap bar on plates oh, you know, really? just to work, hmm. you know, the, what they've seen is you know, what I've seen too is like with the people with chronic low back pain, they lack the ability to hip hinge, mm -hmm. right? They, they can't do it. They don't understand how to not move their spine and bending over like that. So it makes sense. Like they wouldn't be able to get down into like a barbell mm -hmm. deadlift. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fine. Like, like, but I guess if I was starting training, I would say, okay, but that should be the goal for everybody to get down into a, a low deadlift position. Mm -hmm. And it's not that low, you know, even with a right. barbell and oh, yeah. 45 plates, you know, it's probably what six inches difference yeah. for the, for the high handles on like a trap bar. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think training that movement, I do some firefighter stuff through O2X. And one of the things I always had the whole class stand up and do a hip hinge. And there's, you know, there's always invariably one person that can't do it without hip hinge with, moving their hips without bending their spine they mm -hmm. can't do it mm -hmm. and so then we bring them up and bring them up front we make fun of them and, and, <laughs> like, and then, uh, you know it's like and then i always say do you have back pain oh yeah i'm like yeah no yeah. shit like yeah you can't you can't move without moving your spine so like you got mobility issues yeah, yeah he's got mobility yeah. issues they've lost they've lost that motor pattern the ability to squat and the ability to hip hinge and i think getting some of that back so i wouldn't necessarily agree with that you know, I don't think it's got to work as, up to it. I don't think yeah. it's probably as black as black and white as that. But, you know, like there was guys that we we couldn't get them into a full, even a high handled trap bar. That's mm -hmm. crazy. And, I, you know, I think that the just the trap bar deadlift or even a regular deadlift is such a phenomenal tool for testing yeah. overall body strength. Oh, oh for totally. sure. And yeah. that would be 
and it's not a part of my physical test. I know it's probably not a part of John's physical no. test, but I think that'd be a great way to measure physical strength and physical health. Dead weight. I mean, that's we we pull dead yeah. weight all the time. You know, you talk about like dragging dummies or picking people up, like yeah, even just picking up patients. I mean, I mean you talk about trap bar deadlift and then maybe farmers carry. Those should those yeah. should be really in these physical tests yeah. for like almost every fire department. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. And another reason why is because if you're testing or you're assessing on it, then what what are you also doing on it? Mm-hmm. You're training for it, right? Mm-hmm. So if I know twice a year I have to do the trap bar deadlift for you know, like, so let's say like the standard is 200 pounds, three reps for you guys, like trap bar, right? Yeah. Child's play. Child's play. <laughs> You're going to crank out 30 standard, reps. But I can't do that. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to get in the gym because I don't, I don't want to have a, you know, a detriment like to my work performance or the way people look at me. So I'm going to train that movement. You know, it's like in the military when they went to this ACFT, which they started doing like the trap bar deadlift. Well, then guys are in there lifting weights. We're not just running and doing push-ups and sit-ups anymore. People are training to the test. And when they're training to the test, they're getting some coaching on it. And they're improving their movement patterns so that when they go out and they do the job and you have to lean over, pick up a guy and pull him out of a, you know, a building. Well, then I'm hip hinging. I'm loading it mm-hmm. correctly because I've done that movement multiple times. Right. And I think it's really important. And that's why I like assessments, you know, and that's why I wish, you know, the public safety, like the fire department, the police department, would start mandating that, and and saying like this is this is the minimum standard you have to meet because yeah. people are going to train to meet that test. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, certainly. You can uh, hinge that if you need to. Oh. Like it, it actually does turn down if you need this to one? turn it on the little. Oh, there you go. Yep, if that's more comfortable for you. Okay, John. Yeah. Um. This is our last question for you, I believe. No way, dude. Oh, dude, no wait. way. I've got one more. <laughs> wait, let me bud. back up. John's much more organized. Yeah, one more, bud. You have one more? Well, you have one more and I have one more. Okay, all right. Do you want me to come? No, I'm good. You got it? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a question I like to ask everybody. Obviously, it's a it's called the Mentor Podcast. Yep. So it's a it's a podcast about uh, mentorship. Uh, I'm someone who believes that you don't get anywhere by yourself in life. And whether whether it's mentorship or whether it's you having the the intuition and the intelligence to watch what not to do from people you knew. And people yeah. will say, oh, I, I, you know, I, I'm self-made. You're not self-made. Even if you had a, a shitty dad, he told you what not to do without you realizing yeah, it. If you, had, you know, Or maybe you had a great uh, uncle, like my nephew has a phenomenal uncle. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's the best. <laughs> um, but, uh, but my- John's an uncle. Yeah, obviously. But- but I mean, uh, whether it's mentorship and whether it's guidance or whether it's learning what not to do, you never get anywhere by yourself in life. So who who are some of the mentors you've had in your life? Who are some of the mentors you had in the past in the military throughout your career as a physical therapist? Who are some of the mentors you have now? And if you care to share with us, who are some of the people that you you learned what not to do from if you have any of those people in your life? Yeah, no. So uh, so my father, uh, he's, uh, he passed on, but quiet, quiet guy, but tough right and so mm. but he was never much of a talker but like he was just a hard worker and uh he was always there like so like, you know if i played a sport or whatever you know anything at school he was just always around he traveled a lot you know but when he was home he was always there and so i think for him at an early age i learned probably not so much by his words but by his actions like yeah. how, how to you know how you take care of your kids and you know how you're there for them and, and what you do and and then he was also just tough. Like, you know, like he, I never heard him complain, you know? And so he never, I just realized like at an early age, like no, no one cares, right? Like just do your job. And then if there's, there's no need to complain if you're having an injury or if you had a long rough day, you know, he would work long shifts for months on end and I never heard him complain. He would just, you know, we just come home and be glad to be home. And so he was probably one of my first mentors. And then, um, my wrestling coach in high school, um, I'm st- still we're still friends and he that's awesome yeah and so like i had the opportunity to coach against him he coaches for uh regis high school now and okay. so a couple of years ago we had the opportunity to coach against each other so it was just kind of fun you know and so but he's in his 70s now and, and just a great guy and and just the same thing but he was more like a you know i've always kind of like i guess gravitated towards like these like strong um guys that are tough and so yeah. i guess maybe because that's what i what i strive to be and so um in high school when i was a sophomore 
you know, wrestling and I was a, I was a decent wrestler and, uh, he, he had saw, you know, saw me doing something in the, the practice room, but I remember he pulled me into the locker room and he said, and he, and he told me like, like you have the opportunity to be a state champion, you know, like, but here you are and you're taking it easy on these other guys on the team because you know, whatever reason and he's like, I never want to see you like lose in practice again or lose, you know, like give up in the, in the practice room. And it, it made me realize like, yeah, that's true. Like what? I'm not helping them out by being soft on them, you know? And like, John, you don't help me out by being soft on me. Right. Like, and so I, I know you need it sometimes, <laughs> but you don't do it. You don't do it. You know? And so I was like, so I realized like, yeah, that's true. Like, you yeah. know, like being easy on people doesn't necessarily help them being empathetic, you know, yeah. and understanding where they're coming from is, is okay. But like, it might make them feel better in the short term, like that evening after a jujitsu class or whatever, but you're right. You're not, you're not yeah. doing anything for them to progress in their own life. Yeah. But I think then it's just like tough love. And then, um, when, when I got into the army and I was in Hawaii and my first squad leader is named Cole Shepard and coincidentally, not, not coincidentally, my son is also named Cole. And so I named my son after him, but awesome. just an excellent leader. And just, you know, I just, but he was very outspoken, you know, and I'm, I'm not an outspoken guy, but I just like, he never handled anything unprofessionally. And like, and I just like the way he talked to people. And even when he was mad, it was still educational to the person. He was, he was always guiding people and he was just a great, he's still, he's just a great guy. And, you know, and, and so I, I learned a ton from him. And so I've kind of, you know, picked up on these people through the military career. And then, um, one of my, on my first team, we went to Africa and we were doing some training for, um, we were in Guinea, which is like West Africa. And my language is French. So we were teaching in French. And so I had an interpreter with me. And so I'm up at the front of the class and I'm, there's slides up and you know, it, it says the words in French. So the, the interpreter's just talking or whatever. And then I'm just kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm just standing up there kind of awkward. <laughs> and I got done and, and I went down and I, and I went to talk to this team star and he goes, this man that sucked <laughs> you know i was like and like it hurt you like hurt i was like ah you know but then he's like he followed it up with like he's like watch jack who's this other guy up there teaching see like he doesn't eat this guy this guy up there spoke spanish you know he's like watch jack how he does it and, and like kind of like it made me realize like like tough love is okay like you know but yeah. he he provided guidance he didn't just i mean he told me i was terrible but i was like he had a point you know and yeah. so and that's one of the other things he taught me is like, you know, he said he had talked about someone came up to him and gave him some critique or whatever. And, and he goes, and he thought about it. He goes, in my mind, I said, are they right? And he goes, yeah, they are right. And, you know, so like when he told me that, I was like, and he had told me that story before. So then when he told me I sucked in Africa, I was like, he's right. Right. Like, I, yeah. I mean, like I didn't, I wasn't just so defensive that I was like, you know, he just doesn't like me or whatever. But I was like, I, I knew I sucked. Like I was honest enough with myself. And so he's like, go talk to Jack or whatever. And I did, you know, and then, and then he was able to kind of give me feedback later on and, and, and tell me that, you know, like, Hey, no, that was much better. You, tell you, you better. sucked again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you sucked. You sucked you a little less. <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, right on <laughs> moving on up, you know? But so for me, I think like mentors, I think, you know, you guys have talked about this too before. Like we have to speak the same language, right? Like it has yeah. to be someone that I believe in what they're saying, or I like what they're saying. And credibility. Yeah. Credit credibility, right? Like they have to have some street cred, but they have to have street cred with me personally. Mm -hmm. And so like with jujitsu, you know, like there's a lot of people that I'll, I'll listen to it. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know? And, but the, sometimes people speak my language, like John, you speak my language mm -hmm. in jujitsu, the way you just, you know, you teach and the way you describe stuff for me that just registers yeah, like both of our languages is violence yeah so. like so i like violence and you teach violence, you know so you know but like it's just like some people teach and i'm like i don't really get it you know yeah. and or it's too um you know maybe it's too abstract for me but like the way you teach like for me it just registers and so that's one of the reasons i've gravitated towards the, the instructors i have like you know Ramiko and marcelo this is the same way and you and i have talked about that it's like they have to get through to me yeah you know and that sounds selfish but I, I mean that like they the way that they instruct has to has to like you're saying has to kind of speak to me or i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna care very much right so yeah, yeah. so yeah and along those lines for miko like when he teaches wrestling like 
he's just I'm so just like, like wired in yeah to what he's yeah. saying you know mm-hmm. and he came out to our high school and and I was just like, what a gift to have this guy here. And yeah. like, I don't know if everyone like registers like that, but like, and he was teaching something so basic that I knew how to do, but the way he was teaching it, I was like, I learned He's probably stuff. the most talented instructor I know. He really is. Whether related to jujitsu or wrestling or any mm-hmm. martial art or whatever, he's, he's got such a gift for it. Yeah. And it's his delivery and, you know, and so like, I just learned a ton from him. And so I guess for me, like a mentor, it, it has to be. Like someone that we speak the same language or um, or they can get through to me and so um for people that i guess that i've learned how not to be you know um and you don't have to answer that one that was just more no no i think it's it's a good question but like you know for me it's like it's been always been people that are uh um boastful or boisterous or like kind of like full on themselves or um almost like on the lines of not really bullying but like just kind of like this mm-hmm. kind of like out in your face all the time and like this um i always prefer like guys that are super tough but that were like kind of on the level right like you know like that they didn't have to you knew when it was time to throw down like they were they were going to be there but they weren't telling you they were going to be there all the time mm-hmm. you know and so um the guys that talk too much I've, I've never liked i've never liked trash talkers or that and so i've always gravitated away from that so mm-hmm. yeah I'm going to throw you a curveball. This isn't a prepared question, but it kind of ties into what you just talked about. So one of the things that you, I feel like you kind of left out of your biography is, uh, you know, first of all, you you do coach at Prime, right? You yep. coach ma- mainly wrestling, yep, mainly right? Wrestling. But you also coach at Air Academy. Is that yep, right? Yep. So just best high school ever, by the way. I disagree. <laughs> I respectfully disagree. Um, go Lancers. <laughs> but uh, go. can you just kind of talk to us about some of the lessons that you've learned over the years being a coach? Yeah. And so in which, you know, I, I've evolved. I started coaching wrestling in my 20s, you know, and I, and I just, whatever my coach Hillman had taught me, I just taught that stuff. So I probably wasn't the greatest coach in my 20s because I was just parroting stuff. And then my son started wrestling when he was he was in first grade and oh I was terrible. Like I was, you know, I was I think I almost ruined the sport for him because I was <laughs> too intense. Like I was trying to, you know, he's what six or seven yeah. years old, and I'm like in there and you know, I'm making him wrestle all these kids and and then I I realized he's like, I want to play basketball. I'm like, oh man, what did I do? And then so he came back to wrestling and I sat in the stands and then I realized like, you know, like you, you have to approach everyone a little differently. Like, and so sometimes you can be, but you have to be you for me, like me personally, like I can't just be loud and that's not my personality and I'm not going to be a yelling coach and I'm not going to be a hard coach, but I can be, I can listen to the kids. I can coach the kids. But I don't necessarily have to be hard on the kids, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that's how I've evolved over the years. And me and my son, I think we had a pretty good coaching relationship after that. Like for the most part, I would leave him alone and then I would let the other other coaches coach him and then I would just pop in every now and then and tell him. But he always wanted me in his corner when he wrestled, which you know, I, I I'm glad he did, but I had to kind of take a step back. And so what I realized is that you have to look at each kid and kind of see like what their demeanor is and what their personality is. And some kids only respond to like, you know, like they, they need a little bit of motivation, right? Like they need a little bit of yelling to get going, but other kids like they they will just wilt from that. And so Mm. I've learned that, you know, for me, I, I love coaching because especially the kids, you know, like I can walk around and I can show them stuff. And, you know, some of the things I've learned from Ramiko and Adam is like, this, you know, that I can be really technical and help the kids out that way and just show them and not o- overload them with the information and, d- and just be there. And then, you know, when they're wrestling in the match, for me, like, there's no need to yell. There's no you know you to scream anymore because the work's been done. Like, mm-hmm. the only time I think that would matter is if it's like a really rookie kid that has no clue what he's doing and he really needs to be coached <laughs> yeah, for the whole match. Mm-hmm. But if kids like a intermediate wrestler and up, like you probably should just let them go. They're not listening to you mm-hmm. anyways. And there's no right. sense us getting mad at them afterwards. And 
I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically what you said is tailor the learning to the person, you know, and I'm sure that that's applicable in adult learning too. Like when you teach at prime, I'm sure you, you know, you probably address people a different way depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's nice too, you know, cause especially with like at prime when I'm coaching in the morning, like it's the, you know, everyone there is like, wants to be there you know mm-hmm. sometimes in high school you get some little... yeah, if you're at the morning class you want to be there. yeah 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 there, you woke up it, early to be yeah there. and you're, you yeah, know you're coming into wrestling fridays and yeah. it's good and yeah. john never shows up and no so. never that's <laughs> yeah. too early yeah. <laughs> no that's kind great of psychopath trains at 6 30 in the <laughs> yeah. morning yeah. Yeah. yeah well we usually try to keep these at an hour so okay. we're, we're kind of like perfect as far okay. as timing goes but honestly i feel like as far as like the health and wellness stuff goes i feel like we we kind of just barely scratch the surface with you so i would anticipate that we're probably going to have you back at some point if you'd oh, cool. like to yeah, come I've back so. yeah i've enjoyed it yeah. you'll get another yeah. beer that's there you go <laughs> yeah and we'll introduce hour. the beer and, and see what we're talking about so thanks again for joining us and uh i hope you all enjoyed listening to it thanks, yeah appreciate you thank you again for joining us for this episode if you enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed the episodes leading up to this we could use your support we do have a facebook page it's mentor podcast that's at Mentor Podcast. We also have an Instagram, which is at Mont- Mentor Podcast CO. That's at Mentor Podcast CO. If you enjoy this, we'd really appreciate that you follow our pages. And also, if you wouldn't mind taking the time to share some of our episodes on social media, the more interest that we can generate in our podcast, the more that we can get people listening, and the more that we can hopefully impact and add value to people's life. Thanks again for listening. We'll put out a new episode soon.